Hi, everybody. Welcome to Busy Living Sober. Busy Living Sober. Busy Living Sober. It is episode 221. And um, I've never really interviewed anybody from my past that I've known as long as I've known today's guest, which is Trip Gebhardt. Welcome, Trip. Thank you, Elizabeth. I look forward to this apprehensively, of course. Apprehensively, he's nervous. I'm like, who's nervous of busy? Busy doesn't bite. No, I know. You're actually the least nervous person I think that could be doing this. So uh, thank you for having me. I'm excited to see what happens. It's a, it's really exciting stuff. You know, it's um, when, and you know that my nickname's been busy forever, but the busy living sober thing is just, it's sharing our experience, strength, and hope with everybody out there and know that um, you're not alone. You know, this disease, especially where we were raised, is not something you want to go around flaunting, right? It's <laughs> for sure. It's um, it's hard, right? It's hard. It's hard living this life where you want to be authentic. And at the same time, you want to help others because how are you authentic if you're kind of hiding in the shadows, right? Because we've talked about that a lot, right? Yes, as I've encouraged you to do more of what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. Well, you know, I've always had to fly my freak flag, <laughs> whatever manner it is. And um, Sober Not Ashamed, you know, was all about the shame because there was a lot of shame when I came into, you know, when I decided that it was time to give up my best friend because, you know, Booze was my best friend. Yep. Do you relate to that? I totally relate to that. Actually, you know, yeah, I, I don't know if I look at it as best friend. I think I looked at it as... Uh, is it was just in the water, so to speak, and almost like the uh, the social glue or the um, feelings protector, if you will. Um, so I don't know. I I kind of uh, and I think back on it. Uh, yeah, I went to it and I gravitated to it, but it was it was kind of how I grew up. I mean, it was everywhere. So you know, in the household and um, you know, in my extended family, if you will. So, um, you know, it was just always there for me. And, and I, I think it, at a pretty young age, I mean, I think even like uh, at times as young as like 16, 17, I was aware, I think it's 17 years old that I had a problem with alcohol, but I couldn't do anything about it. I, I didn't know what it meant. Um, and so, you know, I ended up getting sober 2003, which is uh, what 17 years ago. I started attending AA meetings in 1994, 24 years old. Wow. So I was trying to get the monkey off my back for quite some time before it finally took. The interesting thing for me is um, my one of my roommates. Uh, it was post college, but I was roommates with her in college as well. Koch. Um, I remember in like probably 94, 95, having a conversation with her about this. And after I had had a little time in AA or whatever, and I said, you know, I'm gonna have to do this eventually, but it'll probably be in like 10 years when I'm married with a couple kids and life is too difficult. Because I think I, and I only think I knew those things because of reading the material, the big book, the 12 and 12, all that stuff. So. I kind of had this premonition that I was like eventually going to have to get there. And then, you know, two kind of beacons of hope for me um, were uh, Joe G, who just celebrated 20 years. Um, he was at, he was a little bit younger than I, and he was at DU. And then Sander, 
Um, and I just kind of knew these guys were um, doing something different and kind of found a way. And then um, I remember, gosh, it must have been 21, 22 when, uh, you know, another friend of mine, Joe G, different one, now Joe S, who's a, a, a minister, um, Episcopal priest, I'm not sure what they call themselves, reverend, I think he's actually reverend. Um, but, um, you know, I remember him, you know, at a very young age, I think 18 years old, and it just really, really intrigued me. Um, but I didn't really know how to cross the, the, uh, the line, so to speak. Well, I want to, there's something that I just keep, it just keeps role-playing in my head. And it's because I know we came from similar backgrounds. And for me, and I don't know if you can relate to this, but for me, the alcoholism was all around my family, right? It was all over the place. It was everywhere in my family had, and people would talk about other people as being alcoholic. <laughs> yep. So it was some, so, I mean, that's where I think my shame started because I kind of knew that I was, but because it was the, oh my God. Yeah. But, and there was never a solution though. So there was no, these people are, you're going to die like this, like that. You have no choice. This, you're just going to continue drinking until you drop dead. Right. So when you got introduced to this at age, you said 17, 18, 24, when you went, were you like, oh my, what is this? And I've never heard of something like this. Tell me about that. Um, Gosh, um, I think that for me, it was more, um, well, I mean, I think I kind of fall back onto step one, right? Um, I would, and my desire to keep drinking, I think was there too. So it's like this, you know, I sort of say like my desire was to quit drinking from like 17 to like maybe 24 was 49%. And I had to get it to 51%, you know, and that was my big crutch. Um, and, you know, uh, from step one's perspective, it was, okay, I'm an alcoholic. I got that. 16, 17 years old, I'm out of control. Um, but it was the unmanageability part. And I had people above me and mentors and, you know, parents, friends, and all these people that I would just, I would say, well, they can still drink. They figured out a way. So um, maybe I can just, you know, control it. Um, it was just that unmanageability part. And I think when I finally got sober, it was, you know, if I want to keep the gifts that God's given me, you know, my family, uh, my two boys, my wife, like changes had to be made. It, you know, business was a big deal too, because I just intuitively knew that, hey, if I want to be a successful financial advisor, I got to get my head straight. And so that was a big, big um, change. All those factors, it was just hey, if I want to be something else, I got to do something else. And that's where, you know, my bottom was. And, and you know, as alcoholics and addicts, that um, the gift that we actually have is we don't have a choice. Um, we have to find a spiritual life. And, um, you know, we've talked outside of this realm, but, um, you know, my training with the Jesuits, um, with parish priests, um, with the you know, Presbyterian ministry ministers um, with Episcopal, um, you know, on and on and on. Um, you know, a common theme that every single one told me is like, look, you know, the, the recovering addicts and alcoholics are the most spiritual people in their flock. 
and um, and and that we are blessed and we are lucky because we absolutely have to get the spiritual realm. We we have no choice, and that's been the biggest gift. You know, that's the you know road less taken, right? Um, nobody really wants to do that, but we have to. And and I do you, nobody wants to. That's the biggest thing, right? So you know, and I think that again, growing up in a cl- culture that we grew up in, okay, and just for the listeners that are out there, you know. We grew up in a, we were very privileged. We didn't want for anything and um, in big houses, fast cars, all that crazy stuff and a lot of secrecy. And I have to say that it takes somebody with a lot of chutzpah and um, you're kind of a warrior in that you just said you just did it and you didn't care because a lot of people care what other, other people thought about them is more important than their desire to get better. Does that make sense? Yes. I mean, I think that's, um, I think that, you know, look, I, in the environment that I grew up in, in that kind of secrecy and all that stuff, you really learn to build armor, you know, because image is really everything. I mean, um, and, and, you know, without trying to be too judgmental, it's just, I, and I'm not judgmental about it. It's just, to me, it's just, this is my life. This is my story. You know, part of telling the story is you don't want to tread on other people, right? And 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 that's part of the quote unquote secrecy that we grew up in. Um, and you know, for me, the way that I look at things, it's just it's so linear. It's from a generational ripple perspective, right? Um, and you know, to kind of give a little bit of flavor to kind of to that story, and then to follow up with another thing is. I ended up having, you know, my grandfather was um, my kind of God on earth, if you will. He was my everything. And um, from seven to 12, um, he was dying of alcoholism in and out of, you know, hospitals. And um, and so, and my mother was his kind of, they had that spousal relationship, if you will, uh, because his wife, my grandmother and my grandfather, just, you know, separate bedroom type thing. And, um, and so my mom really fulfilled his, uh, his spousal role. Um, and, and so my mom was like, just very much, uh, very tight with him and and kind of his gatekeeper from doctors and other family members and friends to follow his wishes, which is what be left alone. Right. Um, and so I ironically had the same relationship with my mother. Um, and, um, you know, my parents live out here with us in Colorado right now. And, you know, we have a wonderful relationship, but it's been a long, hard road to get to where we are as a family. And it, it kind of bucked a lot of systems. Um, but, um, you know, my mom kind of used me as that emotional support because she couldn't get it really from my dad. So when she broke down and, you know, she would kind of pull me in or she wanted to kind of. I'm not going to say use me, but like we were like a duo going at my grandfather trying to make him feel okay. You know, she encouraged me to set rituals of calling him at 830 every single night, um, spending, you know, she'd be like, you're going to, you know, grandpa's right after school on Tuesdays and Thursdays, you know, and that's just what I did. And I wanted to be with him and I loved being with him. So that was great. But, you know, I, the, the pain and the agony of, of experiencing and, and trying to fix mom and trying to fix my grandfather during that period, um, you know, kind of set on a lot of behaviors that I had later on life of people pleasing and, you know, um, 
difficult to be authentic and those type of things that I've had to learn over time. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just that secrecy and everything else. Um, and, and a big thing is my mom was actually put in a position between her father and her two brothers um, over kind of a power position, if you will, over the company. And as my grandfather got sicker, my uncles kind of regained, you know, try to take over that power. And um, ultimately, um, you know, my grandfather died at 65 um, and the company failed because my uncles didn't have the, you know, the same power, the same love of their employees. You know, they, they said grandpa was, you know, he got his uh, undergraduate degree at University of Illinois uh, at Carbondale, I think. And, um, you know, we have Stanford MBAs, Colgate, Dartmouth, Wash U, Educations. And, um, you know, it was like two years after uh, my grandfather died that the company did go under. Um, and, uh, you know, so I have that generational where, you know, mom lost her money, she lost her power, she lost her father, she just tried to fix and all she wanted was like the family to stay together. And she couldn't do it. Um, and it was an unfair position that she was put in and put herself in. And ultimately, um, you know, I think she paid a lot of, you know, repercussions long term for that. Um, you know, an interesting point when, when you know, we lost the money is, um, you know, that was, it seemed to be like the worst thing in the world, right? And, and I think for my uncles in particular, it was, but for our generation, the conversations that we've had, um, you know, it's sort of like, you know, it was, it was a, an actual blessing. I was talking to my cousin, Julie, who I'm very close with, Tom's daughter, and um, I was telling her a story about, you know, 16, 17 years old, and we're at the Volkswagen dealer, and we're getting a, uh, um, a you know, my first Jetta after the Jeep, remember Baby Blue blew up? Um, and, you know, my mom says in front of the car guy, you know, who's probably middle-aged and, you know, overweight. And what I just remember what he looked like, he was wearing a yellow shirt with a pocket protector. And my mom said in front of him, she said, you know, if it wasn't for your uncles, we'd be across the street buying a Porsche. And I remember telling Julie that story, like recently, maybe in the last six months, and she just gasped. And she said, oh my God, I would be dead if we, if we didn't lose that money. And so, you know, and I've heard that story from many, many, many people in recovery, many people not in recovery. They said the best thing that ever happened to my family was getting broken from that cycle of what we're talking about. It's so, in, so what happened 17 years ago, if you want to take us back there, because uh, it's, it's uh, you know, I've got a lot of people who've never walked into a room who are really just, they want help, but they don't know what to do. And I can say when to maybe start, like, I remember when it was time for me to actually surrender and it was, I, I fell to my knees and I, I, you know, and said, God, please, please help me. I, I can't do this anymore. I was 37 years old and I had three children. I was divorced. And I have to tell you, it was the scary, it, it by far still today, that was the scariest thing I've ever done, ever done. You know, um, I think for me it was, and maybe because I had had some experience before, I think for me, it was more of that, you hear this a lot, I was just sick and tired of being sick and tired that I was just, you know, not willing to go another day. Um, I had a friend of mine, uh, Mikey and Matt, and we were um, out late one night in a East St. Louis gravel parking lot, you know, not, not a pretty scene. 
and uh, we're on our way home. Um, and Mikey's like, I'm going to rehab on um, Monday. And of course, when he said that, like there was not another word spoken, right? We're just like, oh my gosh. And so he ended up following through with that. And, um, and then my buddy, Matt calls me like, you know, I don't know if it was that Thursday or a couple of weeks later. I feel like it was a couple of weeks later, but it was on a Thursday. Why I'll always remember that. I'll never, I'll never uh, know, but it was on a Thursday. And he said, um, I'm going to rehab, you know, Monday. Um, I've checked in, I've done my intake, you know, and, you know, I just had this kind of like, oh my gosh, like these are my guys. Like, you know, all of my other normies don't do what I do anymore. You know, they might've done it in high school, college, a year or two out of college, but they've all kind of moved on. And so um, there was a circumstance, uh, there was an actual, Donnie was out of town and, and you know, I had kind of a, a, a rough kind of week and, you know, I was, I was breaking down, right? My, my body was breaking down, my anxiety, I didn't even really, I don't know if I had anxiety before that, but like withdrawals or whatever it was. And, um, and so I kind of, a buddy of mine, Matt, came over to my house and he had just celebrated two months. And so for me, it was like two months is an eternity. Like if he can do this thing and succeed and be sober, then I can too. And so that was a big deal, just knowing that he had that time. Um, so he kind of came over and we laugh about it because he was, you know, it was more like the white knight, I'm going to save you. Don't, but it was, you know, he said some great things and he, he spoke to me. Um, you know, he knew me as a good friend. It wasn't maybe your traditional 12 step, but it was all the things I needed to hear. You have a beautiful wife, a family. Like I drank and drugged myself out of these things. You have the ability to, you know, change and repair this. And so, um, I, I think a big, big part to all this and, and is my sister Kitty, my younger sister who's 12 years younger than me, um, is we were very tight, always have been, um, and, I think because again, my mother and I had that spousal kind of relationship. So even when I was off at college and stuff, it was like, I was the one who was, you know, kind of consoling Kitty and my mom and trying to make the peace and get them, you know, at, at, a, at a place where they could get along or whatever. Uh, but Kitty was right there with me and she, um, you know, you look back and you say, well, what if this didn't happen? Or what if she wasn't involved this way? What if Matt didn't, but her being involved actually kept me or got me to go to my first meeting because, and that was on a Sunday, it would have been um, Ju July 27th of 2003. And um, I remember we were at a restaurant in the Central West End, I think it's closed, Majestics. And it was, you know, the, 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 it was the, the Bloody Mary or not the Bloody Mary, you know, or go to the AA meeting at four. And it was like, that was sort of, to me, I remember that being kind of the, okay, you're going to this meeting you got Kitty's support. She doesn't want you to take this, have this Bloody Mary. And, um, and I went to the meeting and the big thing, there's, there's something that, you know, this is where God's constantly and today does do, he's doing for me what I cannot do for myself. There's always something. I mean, for those nine years of, you know, desolation, you know, desert walking where I was dabbling with AA and like all that, it was, well, you know, I got this wedding. I got this holiday, I got this trip, you know, and, and so I had a doozy right ahead of me. I had my good buddy Dan's uh, bachelor party, like three weeks away in Breckenridge. Um, and then 
um, I, in October, like a month and a half, two months away, I had uh, a week long kind of wedding party with all my college buddies um, and uh, in Mexico. So when I, you know, when I went to that first meeting at MOBAP, which is no longer there, um, I remember walking in the room and of course I had my friend Matt and I met my lifelong friend Wayne as well um, at that meeting, but I looked up and they had the steps on the wall and it, it was, you know, you know, the powerless over alcohol check, got that, you know, young, 16, whatever. And then the second piece, you know, your life is unmanageable. That just all of a sudden, like, okay, boom, I got it. And then the very first person to share, you know, said, hey, I just want to let everybody know, I just got back from a week-long trip in Mexico, and the bottled water was awesome. I had the best time and just started going on and on and on. And I'm sitting here like, whew, I mean, it just, you can't make that up. And so that was like a huge deal. I'm like, okay, I can go to Mexico. This guy went to Mexico, you know, and that's where we find our courage is through other people. Mm. So, um, yeah, that was every, I mean, to me, that was just the beginning. And obviously there's so much more there. I could talk, you know, the first week for hours and hours about the different changes and, you know, just the realizations and, and, um, it was hard, but it was like, it was at the same time, the fruits were so plentiful that you just kind of had to hold on. And, you know, I think you find the, if you're, if you're open and, and willing, you know, I find that it's 17 years that if I want to keep growing, if I want to keep, you know, uh, growing along my journey within my business, within my family, I mean, it just takes courage and it takes continually walking through that uncertainty, right? That's where the answers are. And, and, I think a lot of the way that I used to look, it was this huge, like very, very scarcity mindset, you know, and it was, you know, okay, well, we have to belong to this club to get this access and we got to go around these people. And, you know, that's just how I grew up and I think how you grew up. And, and so um, that was my kind of expansive beginning and, and uh, you know, where everything kind of happened and where I found structure in my life and so forth. Well, it's interesting because you started off this entire talk talking about spirituality, right? You said it's so important to have something spiritual and you've had different spiritual guides as you've walked, walked along this path. And when you described, I remember feeling the same exact way when I went into a meeting and somebody was talking about something that was bothering me, just like that, right? Like something was bothering me. It was eating me. It was in my head. I couldn't stop thinking about it. And then somebody shared about it and I was like, did somebody call that person and tell mm -hmm. that person what is going on with me? And um, someone handed me a book and it was called God's Little Winks, you know, and realizing, wow, is it a coincidence or is it something bigger? And I, I know some people grustle at the word God, which, you know, obviously you and I don't, but realizing that I'm not alone and that there is something out there. And it's called, I mean, for me, it's like now it's like divine intervention, right? God was there to say, it's all, this is going to be okay. I've got you. I've got you. I've got you. And now here you are 17 years in and, you know, they say the longer you stay sober, the harder it is. Would you say that that's true? Um, I think that if you're on a true spiritual path, that it is, um, I don't, I know what you're saying and I totally understand that. And I've seen people that have 20 years sober 
and decide, you know, hey, I'm going to go back out and then they commit suicide, right? Like, you know, there's a lot of things that, um, or they can never get back in. I mean, it's, and so I, I don't know. I mean, for me, it's been, um, I've really had just such great people in my life. Um, you know, Rick H is my uh, sponsor for 17 years. Um, his, I chose him to be my sponsor because I, I, I knew him, you know, at least his family and had met him. His son, Rick Jr., um, is a dear friend of mine. It was in my brother's class uh, in grade school and, and part of high school. Um, so I was very familiar with uh, and you know, with Rick Sr. as well. And and I think, you know, he told me in the beginning, he said, Tripp, he said, you know, I'm not going to be your grandfather. I'm not going to be your father. I'm not going to be your uncle, your friend. He said, but if we commit to this thing and, and to each other, um, we'll end up being both those things to each other. And uh, I could say that that is completely true. Um, and he's just, you know, it, it's, you know, everything that I've experienced, it seems that he's experienced with the ego, with family, with, um, you know, eating kind of issues and all everything. I mean, it's just like, these are, you know, the control issues. So I feel very blessed to have him in my life. And then there's so many other people that I rely on and it's through sponsorship as well. So. I think it's the, you know, I've never worried about the drinking part, but it's the, you know, I've done some big moves. I've, I've, you know, moved my family out here. I've had struggles within my own family. Um, as we've talked about offline, I've had to take over leadership of my family. Have to, I, I, I did. It's probably a role that I always had, but I was actually asked to do that. And, um, you know, these are things that you have to grow into. And, um, and so I'm lucky that I've just built this foundation and, you know, a friend of mine said, Trip, you people, you know, the people with the right spirits, they, they, they connect to you like Velcro. So, you know, I just feel protected in that way. What I had to grow in with my own kind of, you know, spiritual path is my faith and, um, you know, not relying on these people as something that they're not. And I think that's been a natural progress. I think in, in the early stages, I use these people as, as crutches. Not that they ever disappointed me, but it's just you have to grow into your own faith and be, eventually become your own man. And I think that's talking to a lot of people, that's kind of the maturation process, whether you're in, a you know, uh, AA or some type of program or, you know, not. It's just a lot of things happen. And what I've seen recently is, you know, as we've hit middle age, um, it, it's like, now, yeah, I mean, now you see a lot of people that are kind of, um, you know, trying to get off that highway of life, you know, get off the exit ramp and kind of seek, you know, something different or, you know, um, sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I just, I feel, you know, so blessed that it, that I got this at a, at a relatively young age. Um, that I did. And um, to me, that's made all the difference in the world. So when people call you today and say, oh my gosh, you know, I'm middle-aged, I'm 50 plus, I have a wife, I have an ex-wife, I have these kids, I've been doing this for so long. I've tried, to, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried, I've gone to treatment, I've done this treatment, I've done that treatment, nothing's working. What is your advice to them? That's a tough one. I mean, it's surrender, you know, and it's, uh, it's ego deflation. Um, 
And I, you know, as we, as we well know, a lot of people just cannot get there. Um, and, you know, so I don't really, you know, it's, it's, I've sort of relegated myself to, you know, Hey, you're a storyteller and you'll guide and support, but you're not a fixer. Like you cannot fix anybody. And I, you know, I've learned that the very, very hard way um, with my own family and, and, you know, and there are other areas of my life and relationships. And so, you know, the best that I can do is share my experience, strength and hope, which is something that I'm doing right now. Um, and, um, you know, it, you, 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 sometimes it's just planting mustard seeds, um, you know, within my faith, I've, you know, gone back and kind of, oh, this is where my aunt Annie, you know, dropped this seed. And I can remember like, you know, my mom standing to my right, her standing in front of me, my other aunt standing to my left. We were in my grandparents, you know, kitchen. And I just remember it like clear as, as day, but it didn't really, I didn't know what it was at that point, if that makes sense. And I think that's sometimes like, you know, the best we can do is be a living example of what the life that we live, you know, in our programs and in our faith and in our community um, and not try to fix. I don't know if that makes sense, if that's a, you know, I did a lot of good things earlier on in sobriety trying to fix people um, because to me it was a life and death situation within my own family. Um, and, uh, you know, that's part of, again, the learning process, but it's not the, where I stand today. It's kind of a judgment-free, um, you know, here's, you know, who I am and here's how I did it. You know, if you want to hear my story, you know, listen, if not, not for you, don't listen. Um, but I, to, to get more succinct instead of dancing around your question, I guess, is it's all about surrender. Can you surrender? And, and, you know, Elizabeth, I have to say, this is my experiences um, in my surrenders. I didn't do it. And that's, that's a tricky one, you know, because um, I had to be willing, obviously, but there's no way that I can explain that anything other than, um, you know, it happened to me. Um, and, um, and so, it's not like I said, okay, I'm going to get sober this time. Like I'm going to make it happen. It's like, I just was beaten to the point. And I think that's, I said it earlier. It's like, we're lucky because, you know, the ones that get it is, you know, we're finally sick and tired of being sick and tired. We, we surrender, we fall. And that's where God finds his crack, our cracks. And, um, you know, even long, even, you know, into sobriety and dealing with a lot of my family stuff when it just came to a head and I couldn't do it anymore. And I, I couldn't move the ball forward and I got frustrated and I started playing God because, you know, I, I didn't know what I was supposed to do. I didn't know how I was, you know, my, I was asked to be responsible for my siblings and their well-being, And I just didn't know what that meant. And, um, and so I had to grow into that, but in the, the temptation or the, that does not, I don't even know if it's like, you know, you just get into it and it, you know, you, I, for me, it's like in those circumstances, I say, God help me. And I did the, you know, I look at that as almost a foxhole prayer. Okay. How do we do this? Gain some strength and then like grab the baton and start doing the work. And, you know, it's not really until I just get to the point in my head where it's like, I can't do this anymore. And you just 
find yourself on your knees and you're like surrender and and seek something that uh, is not your ego. It's not being filtered by your, you know, colorings and and feelings and emotions. It's just void of all that, and you surrender. And to me, that's how I've, you know, gotten my next level of growth and faith and understanding and courage. Um, but yeah, I mean, it takes. I guess the answer is surrender. It is. And I love that you, because you do, you mentioned earlier, you're like, well, I, I wanted to be sober more than I wanted to be drunk. You were like, I had to get to that 51%, like that brought the Bloody Mary and you're like the Bloody Mary or going to a meeting. I, you know what? I'm just, I'm going to the meeting. I, I, I want to do this. I've, I've done the other stuff. How many times have I picked up that Bloody Mary? And the same thing happens every time, right? Every yeah. time. There's no question. Yes. And, you know, I mean, it's, it, it's so funny because like, even that, like, you know, you were so used to protecting alcohol and, you know, again, it was just such this thing that we can't share. So like, I was like, you know, I'm like, well, I have all these other issues. I'm depressed. Like I, I'm un, you know, unhappy. I, I don't want the responsibilities in my life, but alcohol is still not the problem. And my sister Kitty said, well, maybe, if you go, you'll hear something and it'll fix that. And maybe you'll find alcohol is not your problem. So like you even, I even had to be kind of tricked in my own head and they get supported by her in order to even walk in that door. Um, and then, you know, I mean, it was just, I mean, I think you, one of the things of being where kind of we grow up and I hear this all the time from people in our community that we grew up in and, and I'm lucky that I just, I didn't really, I, you know, I went down to the, some of the city stuff on Lindell and, um, but I pretty much went to like, you know, the, the churches within our own community, the church I was baptized, it was right down the street, my church, the Presbyterian church, because I, I don't know why, but like, I remember just being so fearful. I'm like, oh my gosh, like Bible study, they're dropping off kids for, preschool and all this stuff. And I run into people and I felt so ashamed. And, um, and, and I hear so many people that, you know, try and get sober and they're driving like 25 minutes down 270 to South County. They're driving up to North County because they don't want to be seen. Um, and I guess I was just too lazy to do that. And, and that helped me a lot, you know, um, I believe and, and connecting with my own community and everything else. I love that because I, you know, I, my thought was to myself was always like, well, everybody knew I was there for last call for alcohol. That was not a surprise. You know, I'd go to church and they'd be like, oh, is it? did you go out last night? I'm like, I swear I bathed in Chanel. You can still smell it. Um, and I went in my backyard as well. And um, so, you know, I want to, I want to circle back to when you called, when you reached out to me this recently and um, you said, you know, you're so, I, I, you, you even said it on here. You're like, I'm so proud of you that you're so, you know, transparent and you're so vocal and what made you decide. And I, I thank you for this too, because I think it can help a lot of people. What made you decide that, you know what, for lack of a better word, just say, come out of the closet and say, you know what, this is me. I am a recovering alcoholic. I am a business owner. I am a dad. I am a husband. I am a son. I am an uncle. I am, and I could go with all the labels that you are. But I love that in the beginning you said I'm walking with God. And so will you will you tell us about that a little bit? Well, so you know, I, I think with that, um, 
you know, and you mentioned earlier in our conversation, kind of a lot of family shame, right? Um, and for me, um, for better, for worse, like, you, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't do this, like staying in my old environment. Like I just couldn't do it. Um, and um, it's very interesting that, you know, Rick, my sponsor, a couple of my very, very dear friends um, outside, like, you know, that I, outside of AA, um, my business partner in St. Louis, Joe, um, and a couple of my buddies in AA, you know, I had maybe dribbled out here, there, you know, uh, that I wanted to be in Denver eventually. I want, but all these people, independent of each other and some, you know, communication on pulling people together, um, they all said, Trip, and Rick, my sponsor, said, Trip, for you to be yourself, you have to live where you want to live. You have to do what you want that will do what you want to do or what what feeds you, you know, meaningful work. Um, and you have to do it with the people that you want to do it with. Mm. And so um, that coming out to Denver um, was a huge, huge deal for me. Um, you know, as fate has it, um, one of my college buddies, um, Drew, introduced me to his CPA. Um, who actually put me in uh, in touch with uh, the program that he was involved with, Colorado Thought Leaders Forum. And um, to me, in getting involved in that program, it was the first time in my entire life. I mean, I went to an event, there was 250 people there, and it was a AA meeting. And I was just blown away. I was like, oh my gosh, these are spiritual, heartfelt people leading with their hearts, ego-free for the, you know, I mean, not everybody, but you, you know what I'm saying? And just this, the, 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 the beauty of what was there and, um, and the spirit and everything else. And so I ended up joining that organization. Um, and, you know, it's funny because those type of organizations like previously in my life, and I would have poo-pooed them and been like, oh, those are kind of for you know, it's like when I was in, in, in um, high school, it's like, uh, who wants to, you know, be class president? Who wants to get involved in this stuff? You know, I thought it was like self-improvement. Anything that you were doing was like, oh, they're overachievers. What are they doing? And so, you know, I just, I got involved with this group and, you know, part of what um, it, it showed me was that, you know, there are people uh, outside of AA who think, and grow and want this stuff. And it was just very foreign to me. Um, so that was a big deal. And then through that, um, which I'm still involved with, I was just asked to be president of our, our chapter. And, 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 you know, they asked me to do a testimonial, like be on testimonial stuff for them of what it's done for me. And, you know, I put everything into that and just really, it's been an amazing experience, wonderful people. And they've taught me how to be a better leader and they've taught me how to break down and there's public speaking and stuff involved in that. Um, and I gave, uh, I gave a talk to maybe, you know, 20, 25 people. And it was like, this is who I am. And it, the whole concept was authenticity and we don't care what business you're in. We don't care what you're buying, selling, trading. We want to know who you are type thing. And, and I just kind of went for it and, you know, told about 10% of my story. <laughs> 
And, um, and there was a guy there who, um, his name's Doug McGee. And uh, I've been in, uh, I was, I had just started a coaching program. It's a men's coaching program. Uh, and uh, it's called Realm. Um, I'll give a little plug, realm.men. Um, L-M. R-E-A-L-M, yeah. Okay. And, um, and, and um, you know, it's, it's a, you know, spiritual program is the way I see it. Um, but it's, it's, again, it follows that heartfelt leadership and breaking down the walls and ego and, and being really a better father, you know, um, working on your, on respecting and, and your body from a workout perspective, nutrition perspective, um, relations, family, community, business, um, and, uh, you know, big then spirituality. So it's body being balanced and, and business. And, um, and so he was, I just signed up with a program and then I gave my talk and, and you have 90 day goals. And he said, I know exactly what you're doing in 90 days. You're publicly speaking. And I'm like, oh my, I just couldn't believe it. Like the mic, I'm like, no, I can't do that. I don't want, this is just for this group. No, no, no. And so it's weird how all this stuff works out, Elizabeth, but what got me to the point that I am today, what got me, you know, to be able to talk about this was, um, you know, I had to start writing my, you know, trip talk, right? And um, as I got, began that process, that's where like all the shadow work that I hadn't been willing to face in my extended family just started, you know, coming out. And there was like, I mean, I remember sitting at this desk and going, oh my gosh, like I have to face this. I, I can't go forward unless I face this. And you know, there's some pretty heavy lifting that, that uh, I had to do again, like praying and getting in the right space. And then, you know, going out and serving different family members um, in ways that, you know, I felt needed to be. And then, you know, a big deal was helping my mom do that with her brother, who she wasn't capable to do that with um, and bring her into, you know, a place where she could have connection with her brother and feel like she had been there for him, if that makes any sense. Um, so I don't know if I answered that or not, but it was, it's sort of like, as it's propelled, it's kind of like, okay, well, um, you know, it started conversations of seeking to understand my father better, you know, seeking to understand my uncles, my, my mom's two brothers, what happened to them and how did they get in those situations? And it was really a, a an amazing process that's, you know, strengthened, you know, who I am and, and how I was made, I guess, or how I became who I became. And, you know, not all of it's pretty by any stretch of the imagination, but getting in there, walking in that cave, if you will, um, you know, was just a byproduct of, again, God doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. I mean, I didn't know when I, you know, committed to Doug's program that I was going to give a talk. And I think there were 75 people like three months later. Um, and, um, you know, in that you asked me about, you know, coming out of the closet and I think that's a great analogy of it. I mean, um, you know, I'd hired, uh, I'd worked with two professional speech coaches for my talk and I had three, you know, talks on the books for, you know, end of March, early April this year. Um, and then everything, as we all know, everybody's life got upended. My story is like, I'd prepared for nine months to go out and, and on a speaking tour um, about my own personal journey around wealth 
and families and kind of that third generational model. And a lot of it does dive really deeply into my family's story from, you know, my grandfather um, to mother to me and my uncles and all that. And then even on my dad's side of the family, there's another kind of story there and how that kind of fell down into our family to make us who we are. And you and I've talked a lot about that offline as well. Um, so it's just, you know, again, just being put in positions and staying open, mm. staying open because the second that uh, I got this and we all know that when stuff gets in, I mean, you know, stuff kind of starts creeping in our life and, um, and I don't know what this is. And I don't think a lot of people, I feel fortunate, but I, I think a lot of, at least the way I was, and I think a lot of people, you just, you know, you can intellectually understand something. Um, the best analogy in that area that I can, can say is, you know, everybody knows when the, when you're on a plane, they say, you know, put on your own oxygen mask first before you put on somebody else's, right? Like that's easy to understand. And, you know, that analogy is thrown around all the time as a metaphor to, you know, stay in your own lane, stay in your, you know, do the work yourself or whatever that is, but it means something different to everybody. And um, I think that, you know, at times and and in during this talk, it's like, okay, well, I got to go out and do these great things or these godly inspired things. Um, but, you know, I didn't, I didn't take care of myself first in certain situations. So, you know, wanting to fix my son, wanting to make my mom okay, like, the only way I'm going to make my mom okay is if I'm okay, you know, and it's like, because she does have dementia now. And, and so when I'm in a, in a graceful spot with her, um, you know, it's just a very beautiful thing. If I'm not trying to talk her out of her anxiety that she's experiencing or anything, I'm just walking, you know, just being with her. Um, and I've noticed like, you know, my relationship with her and with my father as we've kind of, you know, come out here and my dad's living with me and mom's living with my younger sister, Kitty, and they moved their family out. So there's tons of changes. Um, and my wife is an absolute saint because she really picked up a lot of like, I don't know, kind of that emotional kind of like things that my father needed that I wasn't able to give him because, you know, we, we still had this I don't want to say dysfunction. We had this father-son relationship that, um, you know, I think we, you know, he kind of still looked at me as like a manipulating little kid. And I looked at him for some of his defaults and, and not taking responsibility where I thought he should, all that stuff. And, and, you know, she really kind of helped me and helped the whole family kind of meander through that. And, you know, what kind of where we came to was more of a, open kind of conversation and there's been you know had to be some energy shifts obviously and stuff like that but you know i I've, I've learned that you know mom's and dad's relationship was such you know mom was the power person and dad was kind of you know hide her a little bit a lot and so like you know a lot of my relationship with my dad it's like you know it's it's now just him and i right like um and it's just been awesome because we have this, you know, it's, it's, how should I say it? It's, it's unfiltered and it's, it's, you know, he's always looked at me as the leader of the family. So we've gotten to those conversations. Now, you know, they weren't pretty in the beginning when we were doing all this, you know, but, um, 
you know, he's, he's acknowledged and he actually asked me last year to take over as leader of the family. I just didn't know what that meant. It took me a year and three, four months to kind of get to where I needed to get to, to, you know, free flow kind of what, what he needs and what I need in, in that kind of relationship. And I think a big part of it was like not being tainted by moms kind of, you know, um, constantly telling us what dad's issues were, you know, that kind of thing, if that makes sense. Well, do you think just not to paraphrase you, but to say like, once you peeled back the onion, that onion that we all have inside of us, right? Like I'm going to get deeper. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I've hit the peripheral. Like, it's like maybe when you first, and for those of you who have never done a four step, like you do your first four step and you only go a little bit, right? And then the longer you stay and you peel back the onion more and more, and then things come in that are really scary, like taking over your family. That's a big, that's scary, right? That is really scary. And it's really scary to say to my wife, all right, I'm bringing all these people here. I don't know what this is going to look like, but I'm just going to do it. And that's scary, right? That's fear again. And just realizing that if you peel back the onion and you get with your higher power, which we like to call God, you know, and you say, all right, God, I'm bringing you in. I, I, I need this relationship. I need to feed you, God. You need to feed me. I need to have this. Because if I have this, then I'm okay. Then all that fear dissipates and I'm living in faith. And when you talked about knowing things in your head, like we know so many things in our head, but that line from head to heart, it's short, right? But God, is it far? It is so far. Yeah, it's, that's the, you know, hole in the donut. That's the, uh, you know, and I think, uh, you know, you have to kind of, I think at least me, right? Like, uh, you know, you have to experience certain things in order to, to really um, to get to that heart level understanding. And, you know, when you get to that heart level understanding, it's like, there's no, you know, uh, you know, and I like to talk about that as kind of the emotional or the kind of, uh, human kind of fabric within the, within the family. Um, and, you know, not necessarily the traditional roles that everybody, you know, wants. I mean, I, it's interesting because, you know, a lot of people even, even my parents' friends were like, you know, questioning, you know, us, you know, family members, everything like questioning, like, that's not fair to Kitty or you, you know, does your wife really want this? And, and, um, you know, just, again, I think that's maybe America. I think that's just sort of, we have all these things. And, you know, I have friends of mine um, that are, you know, from dif different ethnic backgrounds. Um, and, you know, Shina is one of them. And, 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 you know, she was telling me that in kind of, you know, the Asian culture of, you know, it's like, you just bring your family in because that's part of the, the structure, you know, of, you know, hey, you get their support, the kids understand, you know, the respect and taking care of, it's just, that's what you do. Um, and so there's all these fruits that have come from this that I did not expect. And when, yes, when you start something like this, it's scary, it's fearful, and you tend to focus on the negative. And, um, and so, you know, you, you, it's like, you know, you have a bad day and it's like, oh my gosh, like dad could live to like 110, you know, it's like, I might die before him. And do I want this or whatever? I mean, it's like, you just have those those fears and that and and inability to stay in the day or whatever 
And um, I think that, you know, if you can get your ego out of the way and just, you know, really bring your faith in, your understanding, kind of surrender to the whole thing. And it's like, for me, going through what I had to get through was kind of my walk in the desert, right? This year, uh, during COVID and all that kind of stuff. And and getting to the place where, you know, you can see the fruits and, and it's like, you know, it's, it's, I like having my dad in my house now. And that's a huge, I mean, it, it didn't take all that long, right? We're looking at maybe doing a um, uh, kind of a, a, a father-in-law suite, I guess uh, you'd say with him. And, uh, you know, I, I'm like, well, if, you, if we do that, if we do that kind of breakout part of our house or whatever to do that, um, I'm going to miss them because I'm so used to having them around, you know? So it's like, it just, you know, again, God's doing for me what I can't do for myself if I seek him. And it's interesting because I think due to this pandemic that we've been living through, so many people have been like negative, 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 but you think, see all the beautiful things that have transpired and just like having your dad, I mean, this probably propelled you to do this. I don't know how soon before COVID you were going to bring your parents to live with you, but that help it, it, whatever it's like God's intervention. It was meant to be right. It was meant to be it's, um, and it's, um, it's awesome to see how you are today. I mean, as I mentioned in the beginning, I've known Trippy since, I, and I call him Trippy, even though he's crap. I still call him Trippy, and I've known him since I don't even know how old he was. Young, very young, like 40 years ago. Well, I mean, you can say that we were each other's first boyfriend, girlfriend. Uh, like, we were each other's first boyfriend and girlfriend. Yeah, not crushes, but yeah, we were in it. We were in it. We were in it. And, you, and you've always had a special place in my heart. And so when you said, I'm ready to tell my story, I was really honored that you would do it on Busy Living Sober. It was awesome. And I want you to come back. Will you come back sometime? Yes, absolutely. This has been a lot of fun. And I was able to just focus on you and not worry about anything else. So that, that's, that's your gift. And like I said, just keep doing it because I, it's, that's what yours meant to do. It's crazy because, you know, when I was a little girl, I wanted to be Barbara Walters. And here I am. Who would have known that we would have technology and I could make it all up myself? <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Elizabeth. This has been awesome. Thank you. And thank you for being so transparent. And thank you for walking the walk that you've walked through the desert. And who knows if there's, there could be another desert that comes in our lives again, but it's just like staying in that path and just being like willing. I love that you said, say yes, be open. I love that. I'm going to hold on to that today. Thank you so much. Thanks and everybody, for thanks for listening. And remember to keep getting busy living sober. Bye-bye, everybody. Take Bye. care. Thanks. Thanks, Trip.